We are here today with Dr. Muller, famous for his educational science channel, Veritasium. Thanks for taking the time to meet with us, Dr. Muller. Thanks for having me. And just to start off, we do have a quick round of rapid fire questions so that our listeners can get to know new facts about you. So first question, what is the best place you have been to for one of your videos? Ooh, uh, really tough one. I mean, immediately I think of far out places like the Svalbard Seed Vault, which, you know, Svalbard is, you know, one of the northernmost places on earth, really. So it's just a phenomenal place to be. Uh, that's, that's immediately where my head goes. So yeah, let's go with that. And let's also say that you've just created the world's first time machine. What time period would you travel to? Um, I, I'm tempted to go to like the early 1900s and maybe go hang out with Einstein or something like that. Simultaneously, I'm interested to go back much further and see what was happening in Egypt, you know, when they were building pyramids or go back and observe dinosaurs, but that could be horribly dangerous. And let's say you've just won the lottery. What would you mm -hmm. do with that money? If it was hundreds of millions of dollars, let's say it's an extreme amount of money, then I'd try to get involved with, you know, Elon Musk's project and taking humans to Mars. So further uh, accelerate space travel, I think. And if he could own any object in the universe, what would you own? <laughs> any object in the universe. I would like to own like a fusion reactor, let's say. But humans haven't made one yet. But if there is one out there, and maybe there is, then I would like to own that one. I see. So maybe you can travel to the future and then own the fusion reactor. Yes, that would work. And just for the last question, if you could meet any scientist, dead or alive, who would you choose? Well, I picked Einstein. Um, I'd also be curious about Richard Feynman. So for sure. I'll pick Feynman. And knowing you, you'd probably make a video out of it for your channel. So oh, we definitely. would all benefit from it. 100%. And speaking of your channel, you've been running Vertasium now for over nine years. And obviously to your viewers, you're very successful. But your journey to where you are today wasn't exactly linear. So for those of us who don't really know, could you give a summary of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I thought that was a poor life choice. Because, you know, particularly I graduated in 2000 and there was no, there was no YouTube. I was still taking pictures on a camera with film when I graduated high school. And I know that'll make me sound real old. Um, but so, you know, I did what I was good at and I was good at science and I liked science. Uh, so I did a degree in engineering and physics. And after that, I really wanted to go be a filmmaker. So I moved to Sydney, Australia, uh, and I planned to go to the film school there, but I knew it would be hard to get in. So while I was sort of waiting or, you know, preparing my application or whatever, I did a PhD at the University of Sydney in physics education research. Uh, and I was trying to bring these ideas together of like, you know, my interest in science, but also interest in teaching and, and, um, and filmmaking all into the one thing that, you know, I, I don't know if it worked as well as I hoped, but by the end of that, you know, I was working at a tutoring company. I was teaching students a lot about physics and I was running the science department of, a, of this company and I enjoyed that. And I did it for several years. And at a certain point I said, like, you know, I think I was 27 or 28 years old. And I said, you know, 
I've always told myself that I want to be a filmmaker, but I've never really tried to make films or videos or anything like that with, with like full time. So at the end of 2010, I decided, you know, this is it. I'm just going to do this. And I quit working full time and I started making YouTube videos. Uh, and it, one of the best decisions I've ever made for sure. And what do you say during that time? Did you ever feel any pressure or judgment from the people around you when you started your YouTube channel? I think my friends were confused because I had a job that was really great and I loved it. It was at a tutoring company. So these kids like kind of wanted to be there and I was their guy. And I, you know, I'd been teaching the curriculum for seven years. I knew it in and out and I was making good money and I, I felt very autonomous and like, yeah, there, there were a ton of things to love about it, but it, it just wasn't the thing I, I told myself I wanted to be doing. Going from that to making a YouTube video is kind of like just expanding your classroom in a sense. But I think what a lot of us don't realize is how much time and effort go into creating these videos. What would you say yeah. was the longest that it took you? Well, I made this video, <laughs> the one that comes to mind immediately as taking the longest was the video about quantum entanglement because, you know, I started writing it. In fact, I made a version of it and I showed it to some of my friends, including like Diana, who makes Physics Girl. And she was like, I know what you're talking about and I can't follow this. I set it aside for six months and I came back to it. I refilmed some things and re-edited and, you know, nearly crashed my laptop. But yeah, eventually got it to work. So, uh, I mean, even now, I don't know how comprehensible it is, but it's, it's my best effort. Other videos like have percolated in the background sometimes for years where I've had ideas to make videos and then maybe I've filmed some stuff and then it's sort of languished for a year and then I come back to it. You know, a video at the beginning of this year, even the one about the logistic map equation took me basically the whole month of January working full time to make sure. that video. And the thing is, I cared so much about that content and I loved what I was talking about so much that I just didn't want to make it not great. So I, in fact, like filmed sections that eventually got cut and refilmed and uh, and I changed a lot of the graphics that I was working on. Initially, I had extra graphs showing iterations and things like that, but ultimately it was a matter of trimming down. So that's often the hard part is like, if you love it all, how do you decide what to cut? So by the looks of it, it's a very hard and obviously like challenging process that takes a really long time. So what activities would you say you have to kind of balance your work life? It's tough. I mean, I think I'm the kind of person who likes to throw myself into projects. But I do have, I have three kids now, and there are three kids under four, four and under. Uh, so, you know, they, they need a lot of they attention. Keep you busy. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, that, I guess, balances me out. I mean, spending time with the family is always great. As students, we always try to have balance in our life just because it is important. Even in your For channel sure. content, you have so much balance. You have videos on more advanced topics, but you also have videos on topics that are more applicable to daily life. And I mm -hmm. feel like in that way, you're making science more inclusive to people. Well, I hope that's true. I hope that works out. I've never thought that consciously about my about my strategy of like topics I pick. Like I, I typically just pick things that I find interesting. And sometimes those are hard, you know, higher level science topics. Sometimes they're just things that are more applicable.
yeah to just sure, everyday but life. you really are like making science more accessible so it does bring me to ask you why do you think it's important for the general public to engage with science there's a lot of reasons for this uh many people will make the argument these days that the world is becoming increasingly technical and scientific you know we've got some technical challenges or technological scientific challenges facing us things like climate change etc uh or, or like how we engage with technology and you know i think that's a reasonable argument to make but the argument i more so would make to people about why they should get a, a sort of understanding of science or, or get into it is because i think science is our best way of figuring out the truth it's a process for uncovering what really is true as opposed to what looks true or what we might want to believe is true. And I've been guided by this Richard Feynman quote that is, you know, the most important principle is you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. I think, I think that's such an important concept. That's what I want people to take away is this sense of like continually questioning what you think you believe or what you think you know. And trying to find the truth at the core of it. And this isn't, this doesn't just apply to science. It applies to, it's, it's sort of a, a worldview. It's, it, it applies to your life. And I think that when people apply that worldview appropriately, it can lead them to get to the truths in their lives. And I think that leads people to live better, happier lives. So I'd say that's at the core of my being is this is that sense. So that's that's the reason I would really uh, argue for. And just because we are a bit short on time, I do have two final questions for you. Good. Uh, the first one being, what advice would you give to undergraduate students listening to the show right now? Yeah, advice to undergrads. I guess I would say, you know, follow your your passion, your gut, what your body feels like it's telling you. Look you know, look for the things that you're good at or that you enjoy mm -hmm. and do more of those. One thing I think is important is to know what the day-to-day -day work of a job is like. It can be very different to train for a job than to do a job. For mm -hmm. example, would I be a great scientist? I like to think that maybe I would be, but I actually think my personality is better suited to what I do. I love learning science which you need to do to become a scientist. But the process of learning science is not the process of doing science. I don't think I loved the day-to-day -day activity of say being a researcher, because there's so many blind alleys and you yeah. have to stay focused and that rigor is not easy. It appeals more to a certain personality type. So I guess yeah. that's something I learned about myself was, you know, when I try to apply my own skill set, my own passions, this, career that I've found is a much better fit for me than right. being a scientist, which I also, you know, love the idea of, but I think, I think this is a, this is a better fit. So that's, that's what I would tell undergrads, like try to get a taste of doing the thing that you actually want to do and see right. if it feels right. Because a lot of people get into it and then they realize, oh, like, no, the, like I liked the learning, but I don't like the, the doing of this. Uh, and so that means you got to you got to change what you're you're doing. And also, lastly, what is a must-watch video for undergraduate students on your channel? Let's say the intermediate access theorem video, which is called the bizarre behavior of rotating bodies. I really like that one, and I hope 
undergrads would enjoy it as well. And that does bring us to the end of the interview. Dr. Miller, thank you once again for joining us today and also for investing so much of your time and effort in creating these videos and helping students develop their education and their future. It's my pleasure, really. And for everyone listening, make sure to check out SciSection's podcasts available on global platforms for our latest interviews and also subscribe to Vertassium if you haven't already.